Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Song of Solomon, which is one of the most interesting books of the Bible, and we think that you will find it interesting too. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. morning, we have the, the privilege and the fun of getting into the Song of Songs again. We've been looking at that this whole summer, and so today we're going to be in chapter 6 and 7, so if you would turn in your Bibles there, I'll be there in uh, just a second. But you know, sometimes we have this notion that God is like far away in some distant corner of the universe, running things and pulling strings behind the scenes. Or sometimes we think of God uh, as being like that character on Star Trek, Q. You know that, remember that character, Q, who's sort of this malicious type, antisocial, sinister kind of being who thinks it's fun to play games with people's lives. And sometimes people picture God that way, but then, then you read the Song of Songs, and you realize he is nothing like that. He, he is the supreme lover. He is. Um, he, he, he's highly social. He's, he's intimately personal. He's deeply communal. He's romantic. He's the first lover. And you find out that his heart beats for us. In uh, 1 John 4, 19... We read that we love because he first loved us. So any love that you and I experience and know, it's, it's a reaction. It's a reflection of his. We love, you notice how that goes? Because he first loved us. So your ability to love and your ability to receive it and know it and give it, experience it, is really in direct proportion to your ability to receive the love that God has for you. We love because he first loved us. He's the first lover. I'll never be able to genuinely love until I first receive his love for me. When I become convinced of his love for me, it literally changes me and turns us, turns me into a lover of the same magnitude. So this morning, as we go through the Song of Songs, chapter 6 and 7, We're going to hear Jesus literally singing love into our lives. And I think it's going to be life-changing. And here's what happens when you become fully convinced of his love for you. When you allow his love song to just resonate inside of your soul, here's what happens. Well, I'll put it simply like this. Loved people love other people. That straightforward. Jesus' people are the best loved people on the planet. And so therefore, we are the best positioned to be able to give love, to show it. We can enjoy a level of community that's unrivaled by anything the world can produce. And it also positions us to love others in such self-sacrificing ways that it leaves them marveling at the presence of God and asking us how they can know him in the same way. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples by your love. There you go. 
So are you ready this morning? Because I got to warn you, you're about to hear Jesus speak to you in ways that you've probably never heard him speak to you before. That's what I love about the Song of Songs. It really does rattle our cages. Now, remember, we're looking at this song allegorically. Remember, we've been going through that this summer, and which means allegorically, when you're looking at it, it means that this song represents the special relationship that Jesus has with us, the church, Jesus and the church. And so the male figure in the song is Jesus. And the female figure in this song is us. Exactly. So this is Jesus speaking. I start with Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 4. This is Jesus speaking to us, and look at what he sings to us. He says, you are beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be and eighty concubines and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother. The favorite of the one who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines, they praised her. Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? He went down to to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Come back, come back, O Shulamite, come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Mahanaim? How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I'll climb the palm tree. I'll take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples in your mouth, like the best wine. And we sing, may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. I belong to to my beloved, and his desire is for me. So what's going on here in this passage that we just read? I have a, a picture for us. Can I show you a picture of the most beautiful bride ever? So this is Karis. This is my wife. And, and, I think, and I'm showing it, well, just to brag on my wife, but also 
I want you to, I, just to illustrate what's happening, because we've got to get a picture of what's going on here in the Song of Songs, okay? And here's what's going on. It's, it's a picture of what would happen on a wedding day. And the bride, you know, on October 1st, 1988, in Nyack, New York, at Simpson Memorial Church, there was only one bride, and her name was Karis. And all the eyes were on Karis, and everybody was ooing and aahing on Karis. And they were fanning their faces, and they were wiping away tears of joy, and they were snapping pictures. And, you know, back then we snapped pictures, and you had the little boxy thing with the cube that went like that and blinded you, that kind of thing. They're snapping pictures at, at Karis. She's the center of attention, and everybody's talking about how beautiful she is, and everybody wants to see the bride and look all at her dress. You know how that goes. That's how weddings go, is it not? And that's what's happening here in the Song of Songs that we just read. Imagine that there's one bride. It's the church. And, and, and we're standing, and, and all of heaven is, is gawking at us and snapping pictures, and look at how beautiful she is. And, and the one at the center of it all is the groom. Jesus, the consummate groom, who's looking at his bride, and he is just pouring out his praise and his love and his affection upon his bride, praising her. That's what's taking place here. It's that same feel, lavishing. Jesus is lavishing his praise on us. And there's four things that Jesus says about us. And then there's four things that Jesus says he's doing in us. So there's four things he says that he, he describes us. He says, this is who you are. And then there's four things that Jesus says, this is where I'm taking you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we will just walk through it, okay? So starting with chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus begins with the four things that he says to you. And the first thing he says is, you are beautiful. You're beautiful as Terza and lovely as Jerusalem, and we know Terza was a city in the north part of the country, and Jerusalem was a city in the southern part of the country. So he's saying, you are beautiful from head to toe. Psalms chapter 50 verse 2 says that Jerusalem is the perfection of beauty. That's how Jerusalem is. So in other words, Jesus says, you are the perfection of beauty. You're the very definition of what beautiful is. Isn't that crazy? I don't think of myself as beautiful. And I can even tell you that as a man, you know, that's not usually language I think about myself as being described as being beautiful. But man, when it comes from Jesus, there's something about it. Jesus thinks that I'm beautiful. He looks at my life and he says, there's something about your life, Doug, that is just beautiful. It's the perfection of beauty. See, Jesus is singing our praises. Number two, Jesus says, you are awesome, he says. In that last part of chapter six, verse four, he just says that we're like majestic, like troops with their banners. And then also, if you go to verse 10, look at verse 10, you're majestic as the stars in procession. So uh, Bible scholars call that an inclusio. It's a 
it's a parenthesis. You have this statement, majestic as troops with banners, this statement, majestic as stars in procession. And in other words, everything between those two statements is kind of one central thought. That's sort of the idea that's going on there. So he says, you're majestic as these things. This word majestic is only used three times in the Hebrew Bible. And it's used here twice. And then the third time, it's used over in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 7. And over in Habakkuk 1, verse 7, there it's referring to the Babylonians who were attacking Judah. They were threatening to destroy Judah. And there in Habakkuk 1, verse 7, it says the Babylonians are, quote, feared and dreaded. Same word gets translated majestic here, and then over there, it gets translated as feared and dreaded. Maybe some of your Bibles also might use the word awesome. That's how that Hebrew word gets translated. So majestic, awesome, feared and dreaded. You get the idea? It's not that Jesus is afraid of you. Obviously, he's not. But he's in awe. So I like the word awesome. Awesome, I think, sort of captures that whole idea of feared and dreaded and majestic and wow. He's wowed. Isn't it crazy that Jesus, I mean, just, okay, he's wowed. He says, I'm in all of you. You're majestic. Verse three, number three, that Jesus says, you are irresistible. This one really gets me. Verses five through seven, Jesus says, turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. And then he goes on to describe how beautiful we are. So the idea here is this, that your praise, that this morning as you were, I loved that part in that song, we were were just, man, your voices were so loud and overwhelming, you know, praising Jesus, lifting him up, and Jesus in response is going, you overwhelm me with your praise. See? That's what he's doing. Turn your eyes from me. They, they overwhelm me. Uh, I got to wonder sometimes, does my praise and my worship of Jesus ever make him feel awkward? Why not try this sometime in your own personal time where you're praying and you're singing to Jesus and you're worshiping him? Have you ever tried just pouring out praise upon Jesus? Praise and praise and praise and praise until you can sense Jesus going, until you can sense him blushing, saying, oh, whew, whew. I've tried it. I haven't been able to do it yet. I don't know if that's even possible. I don't really know, to be honest. I just know that here in this text, Jesus says, you overwhelm me. Number four, Jesus says, you are unequaled. Verses 8 and 9, he says, you outshine 60 queens, 80 concubines, virgins without number. And he says, you're my one and only dove, my unique one, my perfect one. It reminds me of what God told Moses back in Exodus chapter 19. Moses said this about the, or God said this about the Israelites. He said, I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's it's almost as though God is saying, you know, 
I own everything, but I'd give it all up just to have you. The whole earth is mine. All, it's all mine. But I want you. You're, you're the one thing I want out of all of that. It's amazing that God would think about, think like this about us. Have you ever heard Jesus say these things to you before? We, we think of him as being awesome and unequaled and breathtaking, but he feels the same about us. Do you get the sense that in God's eyes, like you're, you're more important than you ever knew? Like you ever, you get that sense as you're reading this? That's what I love about the Song of Songs. I, I want to encourage you to try something this week. Uh, at the back of your journals, and if you didn't get one of these, we have a couple more still left in the welcome table, so please take them because uh, we're almost done with this series. But at the back of the journals, there's this appendix. And, and I, I took the liberty of, of taking the words of Jesus directly from the Song of Songs and arranging them, some of them to the women specifically and some of them to the men, because some of these concepts resonate more with, you know, women and men, and we're, we're different in that way. So taking these concepts, and, and what I would encourage you to do this week is go to the back of this, sit down quiet, sit down quiet, and then read this out loud as though Jesus is speaking it to you. Jesus speaks these words to you. It'll change you. I, I know that I know that when I was studying this and going through this, I don't know, several months ago, like, I was, I was doing it almost every day, just taking a minute, just to go through and read what Jesus is saying to me, and I found myself awkward. I, I found myself thinking, no, you know, Jesus, I can't think of three nice things to say about myself. And he just gushes on and on and on. He compares you to spices and flowers and all kinds of things. Jesus just pours out his affection for you. Friends, it'll, it'll, it'll change your life. Let him tell you in his own words how he feels about you. In fact, that's sort of what's happening in verses 11 and 12. We come into verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6. And honestly, scholars debate it. They don't really, these are the most complicated two verses of the whole song to translate from the Hebrew. And so you read the commentaries and like they're all over the place about it. Nobody really agrees as to exactly how to translate these Hebrew words into English. Um, but one thing the scholars do pretty much agree on is this. That, what, that whatever's exactly being said, I mean, you know, we got nut trees and vines budding and pomegranates and stuff like that, but what, what, what we feel like that he's really saying, that the sentiment behind it is, these words are expressing extreme passion. That's, that's what it's doing. It's like, take the passion, turn up the volume, you know, a few notches, that's what you have here. And, and in a sense, it's, it's, it's as if this woman's soul, as her groom is pouring out all this praise on her, it's as if this woman's soul just bursts, you know? Ah, oh, she's caught up in it. 
And the same is true for you and me, consequently, since it represents you and me. It's as though when you hear Jesus speak these words to you, it's just like you get lost in it. He takes me away. Matter of fact, so much so that then verses 13, the friends have to tell her to come back. That's verse 13. Come back, come back. Oh, Shulamite. It's like, okay, you know, she's been captured in this dream of how her groom feels about her, and, and, and her friends have to say, okay, back to earth. Please, we need you. And the same is true for us. We're caught up, and we're seeing our, the world is saying, come back, come back. We want the Jesus that you have. He does this to you? I want that. See, people know the religious Jesus. He's boring as all get out. What people need to know is the romantic Jesus. The the one who feels this way about ordinary people like you and me. And you and I are caught up in that, and the world says, I'd like some of that. I want to know Jesus the way you know Jesus. Because you know Jesus like I don't know him. And we can say, yeah, let me show you. We're so shaken up. And then as chapter 7 opens, Jesus gives us this vision about where it is that he's taking us, where, where we're going in relationship with him. Like now that we've connected ourselves with Jesus, Jesus says, you know, let me show you where we're going, where this is heading. See, and that's what happens as chapter seven opens. You know, several weeks ago, um, Jordan Tatro, he loaned me this uh, book, new book by Donald Miller called uh, Scary Close. And um, I've referenced it before, but the book's about relationships, about intimacy and relationships and all. And it was like perfect timing as I've been preparing for these messages. So yesterday I'm reading and one of the chapters I read made this point. He said, all relationships are teleological meaning every relationship is going somewhere. There's no such thing as a static relationship that just stays still in one spot. They're always moving. We're either growing in relationship or the relationship is crumbling, but it doesn't just stay the same, right? And this is, this is why uh, back in chapter two, we were urged to catch the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. That's a popular phrase from Song of Songs chapter 2. Why? Because the little foxes, they just, they have a way of deteriorating, eroding the relationship. And we got we to gotta stay on those buggers and not let them ruin the love that we have for one another, right? And the same is true really in all of our relationships, work, family, church, marriage, like all of our relationships are going somewhere. If you don't work on the relationship, it's going to fall apart. And the same is true with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. So what's the plan? What's the plan in this relationship with Jesus? Where's it going? Have you ever thought about that? That, And that's why we just finished the study, Killing Me, as a church. We just did that a few months ago. And we looked at the six word pictures that the Bible gives to us that depict a deepening intimacy with Christ. Like, he's telling you, this is where we're going in this relationship, right? I promise you that Jesus is committed to the process of this relationship that he has with you, that Jesus has a plan. Are you working with him on the plan? That's the question. Because it is your relationship, after all. 
It's you and him, is it not? So he's working on it. Are you working on it? Right? Um, This is why I think the four E's are so important to us as a church. We have them on the out in the lobby they're on the wall right enjoy jesus encourage people equip disciple makers engage culture if you notice all four of them imply movement they're going somewhere you enjoy jesus we're enjoying him more and more and more in engaging in culture right we're equipping disciple makers we're encouraging building up people they're all moving somewhere they're not static does that make sense See, there's one thing we're not doing is sitting still in a relationship. We're insisting that we're going to grow. We're going to go, we're committed as a people to going deeper with Jesus and going further into the world to rescue people from the grip of hell. Like, we're moving. So what's Jesus' plan? Well, where's our relationship with him going? Jesus gives us a vision for that in chapter 7. Chapter 7, as it opens, look at that phrase in verse 1. He says the, that you're the work, your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Some Bibles call it the, the work of a craftsman's hands. In other words, you're no accident. A craftsman had to put this together, see? Um, in other words, you're the result of careful planning, the result of a design carefully crafted by the hands of a skillful master. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That word workmanship in the Greek that Paul was writing in in Ephesians there originally is the word poema, poem. You are God's poem. We're literally his work of art. You know, one of the ways that you can love Jesus is to love who you are in Jesus. And to love what Jesus is doing in you. He's doing a great work in you. He created you. And he's in the process of recreating you. And what he's doing in you takes his breath away. It ought to do the same for you. See? Are you amazed by what God is doing in you? You know, Psalms 139, verse 14. The psalmist is expressing this. He's saying, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist is looking in the mirror going, good work, God. Good work, God. You know, to say that I'm, think about this. To say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on the one who made me. Am I not? Are you not the work of a craftsman's hands? As he says, See? So it's not really about you. It's about the one who made you and the one who's making you. That's what this is, right? I mean, I'm not bragging, but man, I'm a work of art, right? I mean, some days I think I'm a Picasso, like a flounder with, you know, both eyes on the side of my head or something like that. That's how I feel sometimes. But at the, at the you know, God still says, you are a work of art. And you can almost feel his, how proud Jesus is of what he's doing in you as he goes through these verses in chapter 7. He's creating something in us, and it's fearfully and it's wonderfully made. And here they are, four quick things. Number one, he's making us noble 
and trusted. He praises our beautiful sandaled feet first. Um, As we learned a few weeks ago, that this is a reference to her being a trusted woman. And it's symbolic, that's what it means. And then he goes on to call her the prince's daughter. And we already know, like from from our study, that, that the woman in this book, she's not a prince's daughter. She's a commoner. Remember, that's, the, that's kind of the storyline. We've mentioned that before, that the song tells a story of a common girl who catches the eye of the king, and that this is our story too. We're the commoner who has caught the eye of the king of kings. We've captured his heart, and his love is changing us. And Jesus looks at us, and he calls us noble. You are noble. It's amazing, isn't it? that we get to be a part of heaven's royal family, that nobility runs in our veins, that Jesus is literally teaching you and me how to reign with him. Like, that's what's happening. That's where he's taking us. He's teaching us how to reign with him. Number two, he's making us generous. The imagery in verses 2 and 3 all have to do with nurturing and giving and feeding. You've got the goblet of wine. You have the mound of wheat. You have the breast. Like These are all like symbolic of sustaining and feeding and nurturing. One of the things that happens when we begin to discover the royalty that Jesus is making in us, when we discover that we are royalty, is it frees us to be generous. You know, those with a poverty mindset can't be generous because I don't feel like I have enough. Those with a victim mindset, they, they can't be generous. The victim will always be the taker because the victim always feels that other people owe them something, right? But Jesus comes in and he says, no, I got a different vision for you. You're not a victim, you're a victor. You're royalty. You're nobility. He just said that, Right? And because your nobility now, you actually, you actually can step into a divine assignment as members of heaven's royal family, and we exercise justice with generosity. That's what the Bible says. Freely you have received, freely give. To whom much is given, much will be required. We love because he first loved us. God told Abraham that he would be a blessing to the whole world. God called Israel a light to the nations. Jesus calls us a city on a hill. So the idea is all throughout Scripture. We're blessed to be a blessing. God calls us givers, not takers. Why? That's what royal people do. It's not a guilt trip. It's just, hey, step into who you are in Christ, right? It's beautiful. Number three, Jesus is making us protective. This is what he sees in you and me. Verse four, he says her neck is like an ivory tower and her nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. And we've already commented on that before in weeks past. Uh, We've already noted in this study that this is not him telling her what she looks like. He's not saying her nose looks like a tower or her neck looks like a tower. He's saying, this is how you make me feel. This is what this uh, Hebrew imagery does. It's a picture of feelings, right? And uh, many scholars believe that this Tower of Lebanon, referenced there in verse 4, that it actually was a real tower located at the northern edge of the country, um, and it was meant to be like an outpost, 
where they would be able to, you know, look out and and basically warn the nation of any invasions potentially that would be coming from the north. So this tower is a is a protective, it's a defensive position. That's what he's saying. And you think about it, that's kind of what towers do. They're they're protective. You know, they're they're set up for that. They're a watch right, uh, to protect those that are behind the wall. And so allegorically speaking, Jesus says that you and I are like these towers, that we stand tall, we stand firm, we protect, right? One of the privileges that we have as heaven's royal family is to protect the weak, the vulnerable, to restore them to health and vitality. And, and again, you notice how we are other-centered and not self-centered because that's how royalty behaves. We're here for the betterment of others, and Jesus envisions us as being some of the most generous people on the planet and the most protective people on the planet. Why? Well, as we've already seen, we are the most loved people on the planet. Loved people love other people. And the last thing that Jesus says to you and me, that he's He's, he's, he gives us this vision. He says he's elevating us. Verse 5, our head is crowned, our hair is like royal tapestry. And even more, you notice that in verse 5, the king himself is held captive in our tresses. So we have stolen the heart of the king of kings. We have captivated him. We have locked him up and thrown away the key. He is mine and I am his but, but here's the deal. In stealing the heart of one so great, we have risen in rank. Is that not true? I've gone from commoner to royalty. Well, the Apostle Paul seemed to think so. 2 Timothy chapter 2.12, he said, If we endure, we will also reign with him. The concept is also found in Genesis chapter 1.28. It's found in Romans 5.17, Romans 8.17. It's found in 1 Corinthians 4.8, Revelation 26. In other words, this is not just a passing thought in the Bible. It's pretty central. Like In Genesis, we were created and given a mandate to reign. That's, that's Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. We were given a mandate to reign over all of the earth. But we abdicated that when we sinned. And we gave our authority over to Satan. But Jesus got the keys of hell back when he defeated death in the grave. And he gave them to us. See? Can you see it? Can you see that being a Christian is so much more than just going to church and being a nice person? Like, what a stupid idea that is. Why do we buy into that? It's so much more than that. The vision that Jesus has for us leaves me speechless. Does it not you? Does it not? Is this not hard to believe? I find it hard to believe. Can I, I don't know any other way to say this. I mean, my little brain can't fathom it or say it any other way than this, but you're way cooler than you think you are. You really are. And it's not because of you. It's because of what Jesus is doing in you. See, by yourself, you're, you're nothing. I mean, I'm nothing by myself. But you put me with Jesus, and you are way cooler than you think you are. 
When, you, when you're invited to follow Jesus, this is what you're being invited into. And you might ask, why? Why would Jesus want to do this? Well, simply this. I think because he likes it. He enjoys it. It gives him honor. That's what he says in verse 6, chapter 7. How beautiful, how beautiful you are and how pleasing, oh, love. My love with your delights. See, Jesus enjoys what he's making in you. You say, well, so how do we respond to such a vision? What are we to do? Chapter 7, verse 10. And that we closed with this. She says, wow, I belong to my lover and his desires for me. You can sense that, that putting it simply, as she receives his spoken praise for her and as she receives the vision that he has for her and where he's taking her, her response is, wow, I belong to my lover. I'm all in. And his desire is for me. I am his. He is mine. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm all in. Like, if this is what you're calling me to, then I want this. Is this not what you would want? Right? See? And then there's this word desire. And Karis, you can come and play if you want to, because we're almost done. There's this, there's this word desire. And this is a hard, this is an interesting word. Um, this word desire is only used three times again in the Hebrew Bible. It's used here in Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10. But then it's also used two other times, and it's not positive. It's negative. The first time it's used, it's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result of this sin, they brought a curse upon themselves, upon all of humanity, right? And, and in that curse, God says, here's what's going to happen. And he said to Eve, he said that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it's the second time the word desire gets used. And it's when the first two brothers are, I guess, not getting along, you would say. And Cain is contemplating murdering his brother Abel and God steps in has an intervention tries to convince Cain to not do that and God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 he says sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must master it so these are the only two other times in the Bible where the word desire is used this, this word, Hebrew word, desire is used. And then you come to the Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10, and the conclusion of this is, I belong to my lover, and, and his desire is for me. So what are we to make of this? A couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, I think the principle we see in Genesis is that what you desire ends up ruling you. For Eve, for Cain. So what you desire, you're giving permission to rule over you, to have authority over you, right? And it's negative there. 
And I think it's awesome that here in the Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10, that, that Jesus redeems the concept. And now this desire produces good things, doesn't it? This desire. But then also this idea that Jesus desires us. That's what it says. His desire is for me. So if what I desire, I give permission to rule over me, if you will. Is it true that Jesus has done that for us? Well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says that Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus gave us the power to crucify him so that he might win our hearts. The humility of God floors me. He doesn't need me, yet he desires me. And in desiring me, he allowed me to crucify him. He knew that I would. Yet somehow in all of that, he also knew that he would steal my heart and become the one that I desire. So in desiring him, I'm allowing him to rule me. And in desiring me, he allowed me to, I hate, I'm uncomfortable using it, but he allowed me to crucify him, which means that he and I have this mutual relationship where he and I share everything. What kind of God is this? It's the kind of God, like we said at the beginning, who's highly social, intimately personal, deeply communal. He's not the kind of God who's distant in the corner of the universe, and he's not malicious. But this really is the God that you've been looking for. Is it not? This is the kind of God that you were hoping was out there. And what do you know? He's been there all along. Been here all along. As we've been saying, the Song of Songs is at the heart of our Bibles. And we hear the heartbeat of God and we discover that it's beating for us. Friends, your soul will become as immovable as the one to whom it's attached. Will you give yourself to Jesus? His desire is for you. And in desiring you, Jesus says, I want intimacy with you. I want, I want mutual relationship with you. I want to know you and you to know me. And you hear Jesus speaking over you. You're beautiful. <clears throat> your, your praise overwhelms me. You're stunning, right? You're awesome. And Jesus says, if you would walk with me, this is where we're going. If you walk with me, you are nobility. If you walk with me, you will be generous, protective, elevated we reign together this is Jesus's heart he didn't save you so that you would be a servant of his forever like that's not the concept he saved you because he wants to share forever with you reigning and ruling stunning stunning 
And I propose to you this morning that this is exactly the God that you've been looking for. You know, the Bible says that uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I think we fall short of God's glory because we aim short of God's glory. And we aim short because our picture of God and what He wants with us is so small, it's not even biblical. And I realize that's partly why this makes us so uncomfortable probably this morning. Because many of us live with a very unbiblical perspective of the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. I hope this morning that you let this word pierce your heart and change your life. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We hope that today's message was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org.